0: Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce. I'm your host for today's episode, Lisa Hackbarth. I'm joined today by Dan Segura, U.S. Enterprise Sales Director at Blue Prism. Dan, how are you doing today?
2: Great, Lisa, excited to be with you today. Thanks for the opportunity.
1: Yeah, I'm excited too, it should be great. I'm excited to see what you have to share with our audience. All right, so it is great to have you on the show. And today we are going to be talking about how to avoid pitfalls and confusion with RPA. And for any of our audience who's a little bit new with us, RPA is Robotic Process Automation. So before we begin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background, Dan?
2: Yeah, no, happy to. Um, My name's uh, Daniel Segura, everyone calls me Dan Segura, although in Latin America, you need longer names. So I'm I'm Daniel Antonio Segura. And I've been with Blue Prism for four years, almost four years now. I started as a pre-sales engineer, and then I I took over uh, operations for Blue Prism in Latin America, where we had a lot of success. I had the pleasure of working with close to 300 successful customers and partners over the last uh, two and a half years. And prior to Blue Prism, I've, I have a long career in automation. Uh, it's my passion. It's uh, I'm a, I'm a nerd about it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something that I've been into. So I've been I've been working with things like solution extensions from SAP, different like capture platforms, you know, big ones, small ones, uh, EMC, Documentum, Cofax different workflow solutions in the market, um, some niche, some quite big. And uh, yeah, I've had a lot of really, I've been blessed to work in environments where I've had a nice progressive amount of success in, in, in all these different ventures.
1: Amazing. All right, well, so Dan, in our pre-call, you were telling me that you talk with a, a lot of RPA customers and partners and resellers. And you said that there's a lot of confusion out there in the market about what the terms mean, like RPA, RDA, intelligent automation, things like that. So can you talk to our audience about what what is the confusion out there that you're seeing in the market? And then can you help just bring some clarity and maybe some definitions to these terms?
2: Yeah, no, happy to. I mean, you know, working with, you know, I was I was joking with a colleague of mine. I said, can you look at your customer folder and tell me how many you have there? And he's like, oh, yeah, I have like 38 customers. I look at my customer folder on my machine, and I have 720 folders. Uh, <laughs> so It's not like my opinion at this point. It's a pretty, pretty large sample set. When I say that there's confusion in the market, having worked with so many different customers and partners, too, um, throughout the world, really at this point. There's a big confusion into what RPA, robotic process automation is in terms of what Blue Prism defined as robotic process automation in 2012 and what customers are experiencing with what they think is RPA today. I think it's important to kind of first explain why Blue Prism exists, why we started in 2001 and why we are in the position we are today as market leaders. I mean, we exist to close the gap that ex- that exists between our customers' IT organizations and their operations. I've yet to talk to a customer that has extra IT resources laying around, right? I mean, it's just not, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not happening. And so... Uh, and, and, you know, when, when we started with Barclays Bank as a niche kind of consultancy, that was our goal, is to give the business the tools, the platform, which are compliant, is governable by IT, that will allow them to implement their own solutions without code, without the traditional challenges of IT-delivered solutions, right? Something very agile, something that can be implemented. And, yes, part of that requirement was to use the front end, use the interface that the users use, Right. And so this is like 2001, we're talking about. And so back then, you know, macros and recorders and scripting tools, those already existed. Um, a lot of customers, including Barclays, had those tools. That's not what we were looking to replicate. In fact, uh, although we started with some of those types of approaches, what they were looking for is something scalable, something that was designed to handle not just routines on a user's desktop, rather, Like challenges that we have, like how do I get these account, these credit cards replaced? You know, how do I open these accounts more efficiently? How do I close these tickets more faster? You know, to improve the satisfaction of my customers. We weren't, we were never looking to tackle like specific tasks on a desktop. We were using the desktop in these bigger picture kind of objectives. So that's what RPA is in a nutshell. And and what you see in the market today is. Anything that moves the mouse on a screen is called a bot, basically. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. if you Google search, you'll find like, if you search hard enough, you'll find like 800 RPAs in the market. It's like, it's crazy. And that's what we're talking about. Automating a simple task. uh, When a customer is telling me, you know, they've got a very specific use case in mind. And aside from that, they don't really have anything in mind. There's no no vision. There's no uh, strategic objective. I'll be the first person to tell them. I'm like, look, if that's what you're looking to do, there's a million open source solutions I can recommend a few, and we're done. You're you're, you're good. And now, if you're looking to achieve some really strategic objectives by empowering your existing operations, your existing business users with the agile, secure, scalable platform that can you know really make an impact, that's a different story, right? That's not going to be something you download on a you know uh, from an open source. That's really what RPA is. And that's really what the what the difference, what, what part of the confusion is in the market, I think.
1: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So I know that there's a lot of buzz and excitement around RPA. And if you ten- attend any conferences like around automation or AI or other tech conferences, speakers will talk about what's possible with this technology. And everybody's making it sound easy. But analysts are finding that many companies are struggling to prove ROI. Can you share more about that?
2: Yeah, no, totally. It's it, it's it's really concerning, you know. Being someone in this market, being someone who's committed to helping customers be successful with this technology, most customers are not successful with RPA. That's the that's the the grim truth, whether you want to admit it or not. Now, what's success? I mean, all, all the analysts have have different numbers around it, but they all suggest the same thing: most customers don't recognize the return on investment, or they don't recognize the expected benefits that they they had anticipated from RPA. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Most of them have to do nothing with technology or the platform really that you're using, right? I was just on a call this morning where a a partner of ours, uh, a technology alliance partner of ours, was mentioning, you know, hey, you know, Blue Prism in the West and and in general in the U.S., we don't have the most logos, but we have the highest customer satisfaction, you know, and that's Mm not... that's important because that's that's our obsession. That's our passion. We're value driven. We tend to see that, you know, in those conferences, people will present, including Blue Prism World, they'll present these amazing results, these amazing figures. You know, how Telephonic is saving in one process twenty-seven million dollars. You know, with their with their first-tier support for their, um, you know, set-top. Box devices in Brazil and things like that. But what people tend to tune out on is the first five minutes of that presentation, or the first 10 minutes of the presentation, where they talk about, well, yeah, but we struggled with this. We tried this. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. We we learned. Here's all these valuable lessons learned. We kind of tend to be looking at our phones in that part of the presentation. Once (laughs) they start talking about the results, that's where we kind of perk up and we're like, what? You did this in six weeks? That's crazy. I could do that. It's like, well, Potentially, but uh, there's some things to consider first, right? And and that's really what it's what it's all about. I mean, that's that's really what why most customers are not succeeding with 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 RPA is that it goes back to this this half of what we do. Yes, we're a software manufacturer. We we make software uh, software robots, but the other half, probably more important, is the methodology which we founded together with those very first extremely successful customers. And extremely successful um, implementers of this technology, which is the robotic operating model, and that has seven you know distinct pillars. Which, if one of them's missing, odds are you don't you don't get the results that you you um, you you anticipated, and that has to do with vision. Um, you know, like are you expecting to save forty million dollars in six weeks without any clue of you know where the cases are gonna come from? You think somebody has like a magic wand to, and they're just gonna deliver that? No, we have to kind of have an idea of what those strategic objectives are from the beginning, organization, how is a robot gonna interact with humans, right? And our customers, because they will, right? They're digital colleagues, you know. We shouldn't think a robot's gonna replace me. We should think, what could I do if I had 40 assistants. How could I improve my service to my customers, to my colleagues, to my third-party vendors? You know, What, what are the things that I could be doing if I had this extra bandwidth? Governance and pipeline. You know, It, it takes just as much to implement a poor case, a poor uh, process, as it does to implement a great process, which gives us a nice return. So that's really important. We have to be really careful. And, and this is something that I tell partners all the time and customers, you know, I don't want to take anything away from our global system integrators, our boutique system integrators. They're all, they all—they all have their strengths, their weaknesses, their—you know—their industry expertise. But nobody knows the operations of our customers better than the operations of our customers, right? It's like—it's right. <laughs> like—it's like sounds stupid to say, but it's—it's <laughs> it's interesting. So it's easier to show our customers what a robot can and can't do. Than to co-teach a consultant, you know, all of what you know this customer does in their operations, right? And then, delivery methodology: who's who's doing that? Who's setting that up? Who's implementing? And service model: who's who's doing the eight clicks to maintain a robot or continuously improve a robot? Do you want to open up a project, a big budgetary cycle, just to do eight clicks, or do you want to have the agility internally and the governance model to perform those eight clicks in a governed? Manner and and boom, get on with it and keep keep getting benefits from robots. People, there's different roles and responsibility, and then technology, of course. This is software, so there are things that we have to do in in uh, in partnership with IT to make sure it, our digital workers are just as successful as our human workers. Right? I mean, they need machines, they need access, they need control, and um, yeah, uh, IT gives us that.
1: Yes, for sure. Those are all great points. Yeah. And I think it's easy to overlook all of those things that are involved. I know that was one of the first things that was kind of a big takeaway for me at one of the first customer events I attended when I started with Blue Prism was hearing from customers that it really wasn't about purchasing technology. That's not the end of the story. It really has to do with, like you said, the infrastructure and the team and making sure you have buy-in and getting the right people in place and everything like that. So there's a lot more to it that is involved. So that's a great point. And then I know that we have more information about the ROM that you referenced on our website. So I will include a link to that in the show notes too, in case, you know, anyone's out there driving and they didn't have time to take notes. Uh, You can check into that later to, to see all of those, the different seven steps that Dan referenced. All right. So what's going on there? Why the discrepancy between the buzz and some companies having great success and others signing up and then stalling out? What are the pitfalls folks are missing?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's, it's just as important to talk about the failures as it is to talk about the big, fancy, shiny successes, right? Because, you know, even two customers in banking, two customers in the service industry, hospitality industry, they might both be hotel chains, but they don't have the same operations. They don't have the exact same business model. There are certain challenges that one will be facing, the other won't. And I think it's important to talk about the successes to help drive the the spark that uh, turn on that light bulb, I guess, because our customers are the ones doing the innovation at the end of the day. Uh, keep that uh, that uh, design thinking kind of uh, mentality going, but the failures as well to to make it clear, hey, look out for for these pitfalls. I mean, if you go to those seven pillars, right, vision, organization, governance pipeline, delivery methodology, service model, people, technology, there is a course on our Blue Prism University, which is publicly available. Um, Anybody who's interested to learn more about Blue Prism, touch it, download it, play with it. I encourage you to do that, but I really encourage you to also look at the robotic operating model. There's a course in our Blue Prism University, which is uh, complimentary, and it's great. I mean, it's really worth the hour of investment, but you'll, you know, once you take those courses, I'd really encourage you to get in, in, talk to, in contact with us and in our, in our authorized partners to learn these examples. So like on the first pillar vision, for example, you know, a classic pitfall is in the governance and pipeline, not knowing what you're getting into, being, being confused by these presentations of what is a robot. A robot is like Terminator. You know, it's like it. it, it uh, robot is like uh, it's it's cognitive. It's it, it does it processes documents and things like that. Yes, these are things that a RPA could be involved in, and help facilitate. But that's not necessarily what RPA is. It's important to understand what a robot can and can't do. What are its limitations out of the box, as far as being able to handle structured data, things like that. And then where do these other te- technologies complement the robot? Right where. You've built a process that does reconciliations or something very simple, something easily robotized, right? That can be easily robotized. And you're doing it from an Excel spreadsheet and it does some comparison to decide whether or not to give somebody their money back, whatever it is. Well, once you've built that, it's not that hard to now have people from a chatbot who need to get, who are requesting their money back, talk to a chatbot. And once the chatbot recognizes, yes, you have a valid concern or we need to return your money, assign that dynamically to the same robot that was doing it from an Excel right now. And now you've, you, you're leveraging RPA in conjunction with, you know, a customer facing technology, like a, like a form, like a chatbot, things like that. I think it's important to understand these capabilities, how these things are architected and not have any confusion about, you know, okay, can a robot do that? Or do I need to involve other technologies? Or more importantly, my existing ecosystem of technologies, how can I leverage those? And how can I use RPA to facilitate innovation with what I've already got, right? Because most of our customers are already using uh, Microsoft Azure, AWS, Google. These are tremendous platforms and these have tremendous you know, capabilities to help us with some of these really uh, strategic, aggressive objectives we're trying to trying to meet. And so having a little bit of understanding before we kind of build that game plans, before we start analyzing processes is really important because there's one example that I like to talk about where a customer, a global customer manufacturer who had uh, centers for processing orders, right? Most of this global customers orders come electronically, but a lot of them still come via fax and, and email from school districts, customers in in the U S and different parts of the world. So they have like across the world, these little teams, these little cells that handle orders. And here comes a, you know, I'm not going to say who it is or, but here comes a a global, you know, um, advisory firm who says, yeah, RPA, it's a magic wand. You just sprinkle dust on it and that whole thing goes away. You could just reassign those people around the world to other functions of your, of your operations. RPA is just like, it's magic. Just so just you know wave the wand and it's done yes it could it could handle you take one process, you pick it apart, and everything about it can be automated. but what they didn't under what they didn 't realize is they were just looking at the tip of the iceberg, right, and so really, yes, the tip of the iceberg is easy, but underneath you have all this complexity of the different orders, the different regions, the languages the right the formats and the nuances of, of why these 200 people around the world existed doing this function, right? It's not for for nothing that 200 people it took 200 people to do this, and so they set an unrealistic vision and expectation of yeah, this will be done in three weeks, four weeks. If you want to be conservative, give it six weeks just to stabilize it in production, and you can reassign these 200 people. Well, yes, it was three weeks to implement the first case, but there were hundreds of cases to be implemented. <laughs> And yes, a lot of reusability, a lot of agility, but it takes time to test things, document things. More than just the clicks on our studio to set up the process and define the automations, all that other change management takes time. And if you don't have that, you're not going to have the the proper service model, right? You're not going to have the people trained to do the two clicks to do the continuous improvement. So surprise, surprise, they run into an issue where, you know, uh, six weeks in, they're way behind schedule, but guess what? They'd already let people go because this global advisory firm had told them, just start letting people go or start putting them into other functions. And they were in this terrible position of having to rehire people, bring them back in while the the rest of the implementation was taking place. It's not a good situation. And it's a situation that could be easily averted by having a little more knowledge about what it takes to, to implement and sustain and continuously improve. Having that big picture First, before we, you know, start making commitments and all of that, it's not something unique to RPA, but it seems to be something that has been overlooked because it is so easy to set up, it's so easy to use, but it's also easy to do poorly. You know, that's I think that's mm-hmm. and there's a lot of examples. You know, anybody who's interested, I'd I'd, I'd relish the opportunity to have further conversation, talk about when these things are missing, what's the downside, and then on the other side of the coin. Where the things were put in place correctly, all the great you know results that have that that we've seen with our customers.
1: Yeah. So tactically, you know, if someone is out there saying, you know, okay, so how do I avoid that? Where where do I go? Where do I you know who do I talk to to make sure that doesn't happen? What would you suggest?
2: Honestly, I think it's one of the most valuable publicly publicly available resources in the industry. Bloopers University, the robotic operating model course. I would take it first thing. I myself am a certified robotic operating model architect. It's not a huge investment of time. It's totally well worth it. It'll save you so much trouble later. I think that would be my strongest recommendation. After that, after just taking that course, the same conversations a customer might have had about RPA with a partner, or with other integrators or manufacturers, you'll see the difference, right? It's like, okay, okay. Do you know what you're talking about? Do you know how to? Do you understand how to assemble this big picture and help me adopt and ad- adapt these best practices? Or are you just putting up a slide that you kind of don't know <laughs> what it what it says? Um, I think that's one of the biggest resources available.
1: Okay, awesome. That's super helpful. All right. So, so how do you ensure success?
2: So I think it's it's all about making the appropriate investment upfront, I think. And I think it's crazy that <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, that I'm probably one of the only software manufacturers in the industry that I know of that doesn't recommend buying software to a customer initially. It doesn't make sense. Like, why would you hire someone? You don't hire people without having a job for them, right? You don't hire people for the sake of just having more bodies in your office. Same same thing goes for robots. Why would you hire robots that you don't know what they're going to do and you don't even know how to manage them? I think the the most important investment customers could be making first is to build that understanding of how to manage a robot, how to optimize the utilization of a robot. What is the total cost of ownership? And this is where, you know, Blue Prism really differentiates itself from the market aside from the fact that we invented the concept and the term RPA. The total cost of ownership is really important. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I'm talking about investing time and learning how this robotic operating model works, rather than getting a down and dirty POC to see how fast we can have a script running on the desktop. That's one of the reasons that the market's in the situation that it's in. That investment up front is the investment that I ask my customers to make first and foremost. You know their time thinking about the different profiles of people. What is a developer in Blue Prism or RPA? It's not like a .NET developer necessarily, but it still is programming. It's not. It's not code right? It's it's code-free, basically, but it still is programming, right? So you have to have a different mindset for that. And then the analysts, our customers are, have these amazing people that have this amazing capacity and amazing ideas of things that could be done with robots, innovations that could be facilitated, complementary technologies that could be further exploited with robots. It's just a matter of, of getting them that, arming them with that knowledge. And that's why I think it's the most important investment up front, because once they have that knowledge, the cases become better. The total cost of ownership is driven down. And honestly, the most exciting thing about what I've been doing for the last four years is the careers are made. It, nothing gives me more satisfaction. And we have tons of great stories on this, by the way. I mean, going back from you know 2004, our early days in England to today, of people who are working in contact centers, people who are working as you know, entry-level kind of analyst roles, who are now leaders of, of, uh, of innovation for major companies, you know, because they've done it, they've learned all the things that we were talking about, and they've successfully adopted these best practices. They know what it takes to get that executive buy-in, maintain it, manage those expectations, and get the teams together to to deliver on those expectations and grow the benefits for a company exponentially while driving the cost of ownership down at the same time. That's huge. Understanding how that whole big picture is going to work. That's the most important uh, investment that customers could do as a first step, you know, when they're first getting started. Or really, no matter what what situation they're in, no matter what point of maturity they're in, if they're frustrated, they haven't gotten the results um, with RPA, taking a step back would equally be the the best recommendation uh, to understand that whole life cycle. How does it play out from the identification of cases to the post-production support? Like, how am I doing this? You know, how am I assuring a positive return, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's um, amazingly helpful advice. And I think from my own personal experience of being a tech buyer, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to purchase something and get started on a contract and then spend two months just figuring out what we're doing before we actually start using it. So I think that's great advice just to, yeah, kind of take a step back and and look at the bigger picture. And I think that is one of the things that sets different companies apart too, is like you were saying, it's not just about what can I as an individual record on my desktop to make my job easier, but it's actually taking a step back and looking at the business as a whole. And I think you know that, that difference between the enterprise grade, scalable, you know, where it affects the big, big picture is such a differentiator that I've been seeing as I've gotten more familiar with the industry. So I think that's super helpful. And I did wanna mention, we do have another episode coming up in the next month or so, where we have one of our customer success managers walks through our best practices around RPA process requirements. So I think that'll be super helpful as a follow up to this episode. So Dan, thank you so much for your time. I think this was incredibly valuable. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Anything that we missed?
2: Oh my gosh, so many more things to share. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, leave it for another podcast. No, thanks, thanks Lisa so much for for organizing this. This is great. I mean, we really well, relish the opportunity to um, help educate market help clear up some of this confusion, you know, that, that's out there. Uh, and then we, uh-huh. we welcome the opportunity to have more conversations with with, uh, with our customers and with potential customers out there that are just curious.
1: Amazing. So if anyone does have follow-up questions or wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to find you?
2: Yeah, email, uh, LinkedIn. I think you're going to be including some of my contact information. Uh, my email is dan.segura, S-E-G-U-R-A, at blueprism.com. Contact us on our website. We've got incredible resources available. We're kind of like one of the best kept secrets in the market for some reason. I'm not sure. <laughs> but hopefully <laughs> podcasts like that help turn that around. 10%. Yeah, there's, there's teams of people that are that are waiting and, and, and happy to, to support you.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dan. I think this was just uh, incredible content. I think that'll be so valuable for our audience. So again, this was Dan Segura, who's our U.S. Enterprise Sales Director at Blue Prism. And I just want to say also thank you to our audience for joining us today. We hope you to enjoyed today's episode and we look forward to seeing you again.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content for show notes and more info, visit us at blueprismcom podcast. Thank you so much for listening until next time.